0: to be here. Um, I am Pastor Cameron and uh, uh, we are continuing the series on Thanksgiving uh, which we began last week um, discussing... Oops, I forgot my clicker. <coughs> Who's got the remote? I do. <laughs> uh, it's a, the series on Thanksgiving is a series about gratitude, grace And generosity. And last week we really looked in uh, uh, specifically at the idea of Thanksgiving. Of course, last week was Thanksgiving week. And uh, uh, it's Thanksgiving defined as an attitude of gratitude plus acts of generosity. (laughs) That there is both aspects are essential in. uh, understanding even the word Thanksgiving both in English and in the, uh, the Greek of the, the Bible is the attitude of gratitude plus acts of uh, generosity and this series is going to be teaching a month long series on Thanksgiving. Uh, uh, uh gratitude grace and generosity with the goal of, of stimulating people to be uh, faithful and tithing to the church and if you don't know what the tithe is if you don't know what that word means listen in next week because I'm going to be ex- talking about uh new testament basis for uh tithing uh and and all of that what that means <clears throat> but also uh, so, I'm, so part of that is to you know uh, encourage people to be faithful and tithing to the church but also to encourage considering maybe some of us uh, would uh, feel the challenge to give above and beyond and what came to me is in my prayer and preparation for the series is is making a challenge of man if if all of us that would be radical but even if many of us gave an additional 1% to missions like if our church, Total, if every family in our church gave 1% a mission, we could give full time. We could pay the full time salary of almost two full time missionaries, which would be phenomenal. Missionaries spend at least a third or more of their time just raising funds. And if we could call like the Tim and Samantha Gordon in China and say, "Hey, guess what? This year we're just going to cover your salary." You know, it would would be such a relief for them, and so together we could do something awesome. And then the same thing with alms is is that, and and we're alms is giving to the poor, and we're all called to do that as as individuals. But this is like a group challenge, uh, a group on. There we go, right? (laughs) A church on Uh, that. Hey, let's do something and uh, see what we could do uh, as as a group. So this week we're talking about. koinonia, which is a a Greek word that is translated fellowship, and how it relates to uh, financial giving. And it comes from the the primary use of the word begins, uh, it's used all through the New Testament, but one of the key verses is Acts 2.42, it says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. In the breaking of bread and in prayers. And this is just, just one of the most important verses in the New Testament. It is a one verse definition of what the church is. It's God's definition of the New Testament church. And so, it was describing the practice of the early church, but it, it, it is a, it is not, it is more than that. It is, the basis for everything the church has been, is, and is to be, uh, you know, in, in its entire history. Uh, so these, these things constitute the definition of what is. A church, so I preach about this verse forever. But <laughs> it was four things. It was uh, you know they, they continued in the apostles' doctrine, which is teaching scripture and all that. Uh, fellowship, which is the word koinonia, and that's what we're going to focus in on uh, today. And breaking of bread, which is both uh, a reference to communion, but also meals together in hospitality and in prayer. So it's one of the it's one of the basics of church life. And we translate the word fellowship, but the meaning is bigger than just fellowship. Or, or actually, the meaning of fellowship is, is bigger and more involved than what most uh, Christians think it is, and certainly practice it is. So we're going to go into the definition and the meaning of what uh, is meant by this term koinonia. And the first part of it is participation. Uh, this, this definition is adapted by a, uh, a kind of a standard lexicon a, defini- a dictionary of the Greek uh, called Thayer but you can look it up in many other sources if you'd like but the three basic aspects of what koinonia means one is participation and so that's the community the share which one has in anything you know to be part of a group you have to be there. <laughs> is this You guys are kind of You're a hard audience. (laughs) You know, you you have to participate. You actually have to, you know, not only show up, but, you know, be involved in some way. Um, And so it's so important to to be participating in the church. And so when the Bible says fellowship, it's talking about being actively an active participant. That you're not a, a, a passerby, that you're actually there. And you're involved in some way and we we taught on that extensively during the serve Sunday series this uh, uh, past summer intimacy is another aspect of it and it can be translated communion this is the part of it where uh, it's often the word fellowship is used I prefer the word friendship because I think that's that means more now than the word fellowship and uh, the idea is that there's intimacy and so in order to practice biblical koinonia it requires a level of intimacy in relationship with the other people in that group all right and so we're actually going to be talking about uh, this substantially next year we have we have the whole year planned out can you believe this uh, <clears throat> we had to kind of schedule things in advance because we're having two churches and figuring it all out but we're we're going to we're going to have a, um, a, a a series on what it means to to grow in intimacy, and so that's a very important aspect of developing real relationships, um, and and uh, as well as participating. And then the third aspect, and that's what this uh, series is about. Uh, in today's message is contribution, a gift jointly contributed. Right. So that's that's literally like a dictionary definition of koinonia. Part of it is a gift jointly contributed so if we all said hey let's let's, uh, let's all take up a, a, an offering to, to, uh, to bless uh, you know someone in the church you guys did this a few years ago you all took up an offering and, and put new windows in my house my word it was a phenomenal every day I'm thankful for it you know when I don't feel the breeze coming through my my windows <laughs> you know and so um, uh, it, it means a collection it literally means a collection collecting money and it's an exhibiting the embodiment of proof of fellowship. In other words, this is a way that you can demonstrate in a, in a real, a physical, tangible way that idea of fellowship or koinonia by giving financially. And so <coughs> uh, biblical fellowship is a combination of all three elements. If you lack any of the elements, you don't have biblical fellowship. All right. So, if you if you if you participate, um, but you don't have intimacy, you're not going to benefit from the idea of of, of koinonia. You're not going to get the full benefit out of it. Uh, if you maybe you, 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 you uh, um, maybe you uh, are, have intimate friendships, but you're not giving financially, you're not going to get the full benefit. Uh, there's a lot of benefits uh, uh, come from living in Koinonia and you're only living a third or two-thirds of it or there's some people that literally figure that they can just write a check and that's enough they don't need to participate you know I give a good offering I don't need to do I don't need to help in Sunday school you know and they're robbing themselves as well as the church of the fullness of the fellowship that God is calling us to because biblically the idea of fellowship uh, is all three. It's participating, being part of the group, having something to give, being a partaker. It is intimacy and developing in relationship. And it's contributing, uh, bringing financial uh, support uh, or material support to uh, the needs of the group. Um, and so that's what we're going to be. I'm going to be focusing on that aspect of it because that's what this series is about. But all three are equal. <coughs> um, giving should be practiced where you experience the other aspects of koinonia. Alright? And so, in order for it to be koinonia, it needs to be... because koinonia is, is defined by all three of these things together, then you should give where you experience intimate relationships and you are participating. And that's biblical fellowship. Now, giving to other needs is fine and God commends that and commands it in some, certain places and it's great to give to the charitable giving to whatever needs put on your heart but if if you're doing that and not giving to the local church then you're just you're not you're not practicing koinonia you know uh, because that's the definition of the word <laughs> alright uh, and God commands us to do both, uh, to, that we are to uh, do that uh, as well as to uh, give to needs outside of you know, our immediate community We're to meet the needs in our, in our surrounding community and, and needs throughout the world. And I hope we all do that. I encourage us to do that. And as a church, we do that as well. Someone once told me that a coworker told them uh, that heard them that they were going to give money to the church. Like he said something at work, like, oh, I forgot the tie last week or something like that. And the co-worker said, you'd have to be a blanking idiot to give money to church. And uh, that made me laugh. <laughs> you know, I thought it was completely honest. If someone, think about it, if someone doesn't believe in God, uh, you know, then they're not going to give money to God. That makes sense, doesn't it? That's logical. Alright, so if there's no faith, there's no giving. That is a logical conclusion. Well, there's this, there's a thing with a little equal sign. You can flip it around. All right? That's just simple logic. So, if no faith equals no giving, then no giving equals no faith. You know? And, you know... And in one sense, some of you may not give financially. I don't know, I don't look at the personal record, financial records of, of you. I have access to it occasionally. Uh, there's need for me to look up for a particular reason, but I don't, I don't track your guys' as giving. Other people do that. We have a computer system that does that. But it should be a challenge because there is a direct correlation. <coughs> and uh, I don't like preaching about money. I don't do it very often. I did it last year, I'm doing it this year, I'm not gonna do it as far as I know next year. (laughs) But it is important because God cares. Uh, uh, You know, uh, uh, when you talk about money, people get funny. Right? You start talking about money. Sometimes it, it stirs up issues in people's hearts. Well, God cares about your heart. And so God talks about money. And so I, I'm required to do so from time to time. So let's look at a scripture where, where this word koinonia is used in this context specifically. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 through 6. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. That in, in a great trial of affliction, uh, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their, their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints." And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. And so we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. Okay, Most of you know that the Bible is, is mostly stories. <laughs> Only in a few places in Scripture is the Bible a um, like a, a tract or a, a, an, a written article explaining something. Almost all of the Bible, uh, the truths God communicates His truths in narratives, in stories, and there's a reason: is because that's how we best learn. Okay, and it's by the examples of others that we learn, and so from these stories we can extract. Principles and understanding that is actually more accurate than if it just gave a list of uh, of uh, instructions. <clears throat> and so, what we have here, and what we find most in Scripture, is this story unfolding of the early church. And Paul is writing to uh, the church in Corinth about a collection that he's taking for the church in Jerusalem. Uh, Corinth is, is part of Greece. And he's actually writing to the Corinthians uh, boasting about the Macedonians. And so the, he was talking about the Macedonians that they, were, they had given beyond uh, uh, Paul's expectation. They were so liberal, even though they were suffering poverty. And so he used that as an example to kind of stir up the uh, Corinthian church concerning this special collection that uh, was being taken to uh, be delivered to the church in Jerusalem because Jerusalem was suffering a famine and uh, for two reasons Uh, there was a famine and Christians in uh, Israel were Persecuted because they were considered um, heretical because they had turned away from Judaism, and so many of them were being persecuted, and so they couldn 't get jobs and stuff like that was was happening, plus the whole region was just under famine and so Paul had taken it upon himself to do this special collection of all these churches that he had started to take a big gift back to the the mother church in Jerusalem, and he actually did this Uh, uh, So the principles that are written in this uh, uh, portion of scripture Apply to special offerings, but the principles actually apply to all New Testament giving so from this story we can learn principles concerning Financial giving in the church does that make sense? And so what we find as an example is these Macedonians were begging them with much, urg- uh, with much urging for the favor of participating in the support of the, sa- uh, of the saints. <clears throat> and the word participation there is koinonia. All right? So they were, they were actually, wow, these Macedonians really latched on to this aspect of koinonia. And that they wanted to give uh, above and beyond of uh, um, uh, uh, the expectation uh, I looked up in another resource it's an IVB university press commentary and the term koinonia <coughs> translated participation sharing or fellowship was used technically in business documents of Paul's day for a partnership alright and so you know when they say a Greek word you know it's all Greek to me right <coughs> it's all Greek to you so When we say koinonia, nothing jumps to your mind. But when Paul used the term koinonia, everybody knew what that meant. A legal partnership was what the word meant. Uh, It could also signify an institution in Roman trade known as the Societis, by which members contracted to supply whatever they had to fulfill their corporate goal. All right, and that, that's a really good definition of entering into a contract with somebody else that says, everything I have and everything you have, we're going to contract together and we're going to take on this task and whatever we have that, that can be used to meet the, the, the goal of, of this business. We're going we're to pool our resources and, and, and start a new company. We're going to pool our resources and build a, a building. Everything I have. I'm putting in. And that's what the word meant. And it's interesting if you read Acts 2, that's what they did. They actually gave everything. Uh, as an example, I, I, I don't have time to go through that example. I, I wanted to turn to this because it uses the, the word koinonia in a specific sense. Whether Paul conceived of this partnership officially or unofficially, in other words, was he was he making that reference uh, 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 officially or was he just using unofficial? Isn't clear. But the Macedonians saw that. That support, the financial support, like hospitality, they saw it as a privilege and they did it willingly. Okay? And it's really a picture of what God intends. We see in that story a picture of the New Testament church. One church taking a collection to help another church, or the church is pooling together to help a church that's in need. And so it's the needs of. Uh, being pooled together, <clears throat> and there 's three actual gifts in that mess in that uh, passage there 's three extra references it says first, they gave themselves to the Lord. Now you could understand that as they just gave themselves like we would understand that in English as they, they became Christians or they were committed to the Lord, and that may be what Paul is saying there, but that would be what would be called divorcing it from its context, in other words, in the context of what Paul is talking about. The whole two chapters, he's talking about money. He's talking about financial giving. Okay? He says, first they gave to the Lord. He says, they gave beyond all expectation. First they gave themselves to the Lord. I think that that could be meant that they gave their tithe. Because that would be consistent with the culture of the church in the first century. Alright? Because everyone accepted it was a cultural dis- The giving of the tithe was not questioned. And it was given. The big thing is they weren't giving it to the synagogue anymore. They were giving it to uh, the church. But we're going to get into that next week when we talk about the tithes. (laughs) Um, uh, Secondly, it says, and then to us. Paul says, first they gave to the Lord. And then they gave to us. And it's probably meant... That they gave a collection for Paul and his team, which was again normal and expected when, when, uh, guest ministry would come. That's how they were financed. Uh, and then the third was, and not only as we had hoped, which was the original, uh, offering that was being collected. And so the Macedonians not only gave to the original offering, but they were giving faithfully to the, the, uh, to the Lord, and they gave, uh, uh, some to Paul. Whether you agree with that interpretation or not is up to you. I think that's what it means. <laughs> Alright? <clears throat> Twice in this passage, though, we see uh, the, the word grace used. First, uh, at the very first, in the beginning, it says, we make uh, known to you the grace of God. And so this chapter is talking about grace. The introduction to the section is grace. Everybody say grace. Grace. You know? And so people, when you talk about money, people get uptight. But listen... I'm talking about grace. Uh, and we found out last week when we talked about thanksgiving, that thanksgiving, giving of thanks, is actually an expression of grace. And remember we talked about how powerful grace is. How We're saved by what? Grace. Grace. So grace actually transforms us from a, our destiny, from uh, hell to heaven it transforms us from being sinners to saints all right it was a power that raised jesus from the dead and 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 and, and, and demonstrates that he's lord and king of all so the grace is powerful and thanksgiving is an expression of grace <clears throat> i thought of later that's why we say you know who's going to say grace at meal you know it's it's actually in our language um, but giving is also an expression of grace. Uh, and we see that in this passage by Paul starting, we make known to you the grace of God. And the second time it's referred to is um, in, the ter- in the phrase, the favor of participation, when the Macedonians were begging or urging them to be able to participate in the, in the favor of participating. Literally, it's in the Greek, it's the charis koinonia. All right? Charis is the word for grace. Koinonia is the word I've been talking about, fellowship, participation, intimacy, giving. And so they were imploring them to be able to participate in the grace of giving. Wow! Grace, it's grace in action. It really is grace in action. It's not the only way that grace is expressed. But it is a very important way, uh, and it's one of the key ways in Scripture that that God calls us to express grace. <clears throat> it's God's grace reproduced in the believers as they demonstrate koinonia by participating, uh, by participation, intimacy, and contribution. And just another, just another thing I just got to throw in here, you know, is God a giving God? Uh, yeah, and so. Grace makes us like God, right? And so it reproduces that, that, that propensity for being generous and for being forgiving. What I challenge you, and this idea and part of this sermon is to challenge us to understand this in the context of a local church. Why? Because that's the definition of church according to Scripture. Alright? According to these words, according to the story, the example that we read in, in Corinthians, and I could uh, uh, show you other examples as well. So it's really important that we understand, um, uh, in its full entirety. <clears throat> Alright. Huh. Still with me? It says, but as you abound in everything," Paul continues, "as you abound in everything, writing to the church in Corinth, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this what grace." Also, what's he talking about? <laughs> He's talking about giving money at church, and he calls it. Yeah use my laser pointer. Grace. Study that up, right? Huh? Study that yeah. up, right? Huh? I can do it way back there. I can't, I can't see it, though. <laughs> he calls it, who does Paul think he is? Huh? How, who does God think he is? This is God's Word. So, you know, just... This is why I don't teach about money too often. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe you guys. are. Maybe this is nobody's upset about this, but I, I, you know, it is challenging uh, to to because uh, it demands uh, a practice that is measurable. <laughs> uh, Paul says, "See that you abound in this grace also." And he goes on, "I speak not by commandment." But I, I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. So the others are the Macedonians, and he saw, says, "I'm going to test how sincere your love is by how uh, the mass i am going to compare what you do based uh, on the Macedonians' gift." Yes. So, so I'm going to—I could say, sit, put this in the context. I'm going to—I'm going to judge how sincere your love is based on uh, on the, on the giving of the Vandalia Church. Huh? Ha <laughs> ha! I can do that now. I got two churches to compare. I'm not really going to do that. But that would be that's what, what Paul was saying. All right? Come on, that's funny. <laughs> okay, not by commandment. In other words, the motivation can't be I have to. It's got to be motivated out of gratitude. All right? Giving here and this is equated with faith, speech, knowledge, diligence, and even love. Wow. He compares it to love. Uh, and in the, te, the test of our sincerity, which I already uh, labored to point, um, abound in this grace also. So it's another use of the word grace. Um, if you think that grace doesn't concern finances or money, then you literally have to tear out of your Bible, these chapters especially chapter eight and nine of, of Second Corinthians, because that's what the, the, it's all talking about, rather than doing that, I recommend that you see it as a sanctification of money and finance. it 's taking what is commonly used for worldly purposes um, and materialistic purposes and maybe self oriented purposes and it empowers us to use our finances in a way that demonstrates God's grace this is a way to channel finances to demonstrate his grace and uh yeah it is powerful because grace is powerful he goes on for you know the grace brings up grace the word grace again of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor and uh, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And in this, I give advice. It's to your advantage, not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago... Uh, and what that means is that he had passed through there a year previously and said, hey, we're going to be taking a collection for the church in Jerusalem because they're having a famine. I'll be back in a year to collect it. And so they, they, that's why uh, that reference is there. Um, but now you must also complete the doing of it. And so they were like, yeah, let's do it. And so he's like now it's time to pay up. <laughs> um <clears throat> that as there was a readiness and a desire to do it so there also may be a completion of what you want to do or uh, what uh, a completion of what you have for if there is a first a willing mind it is acceptable it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have and i think that's an important verse to understand that uh there's a few things in here uh, uh he points to grace and how that grace is demonstrated by the life of Christ that Jesus Christ's gift is the motivation it's the example in other words in our, even in our finances we're to be Christ like all right Jesus demonstrated it and so look at the—he he points to Jesus as the ultimate example, and Jesus is also the ultimate example of an exponential return because he gave his life, one life, and you know right now on planet Earth there's two billion Christians, uh, and so look at the exponential return uh, that uh, his life uh, uh, reaped. <clears throat> uh, but he goes on to say there has to be a willingness of mind and heart, um, giving uh, from what you have is all that's required. If you do not have anything, then there's no shame or guilt. And some people don't have anything. Alright? And the last thing I want to do when we talk about money is to make people feel bad that are already struggling with poverty or lack. Alright? Now, there is a challenge that, you know, maybe you're experiencing lack because you haven't been practicing, you know, other biblical... Uh, principles, but maybe you're experiencing lack because you're just going through a season where you're struggling, you know, and, and I understand that. And often I use this, this reference to people who come to me and maybe they had either never believed in tithing or giving to the church or they believed it but they still didn't do it or they didn't, for whatever reason and they get a revelation that, like, wow, this is really what God calls me and there's so much blessing, uh, 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 associated with And they go, what, what am I supposed to do? I haven't tithed for the last, te- you know, ten years. You know, it would be, you know, thousands of dollars. And, I, and I'll say, well, do you have that money? No, I don't it's not like I, they had it in a bank account. They spent it. I said, well, you, you can't give what you don't have. So you're, the, here's a biblical basis. You're free. What God wants you to do is start now. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. And and if you don't have anything, and that's where giving proportionately, this is this brilliant thing that God thought up. You give proportionately and he'll return exponentially. All right, so he goes on. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened but by an equality, that now uh, at this time your abundance may supply their lack and that their abundance may... um, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. So there's a couple things in this passage. It's a great example of koinonia in that when uh, one has a lack, someone else provides for that lacking. But there may come a time when you have a lack, when you have a need, and they can provide for you. And so that's what living in community is all about. And it's worked out in a local church as well as in, you know, in in the larger church. And this was an example in a larger church. But then he quotes to a very interesting verse. He quotes to this verse of the Old Testament that was talking about the gathering of manna. All right? And so he directly compares New Testament giving collections taking at church meetings with gathering of manna in the Old Testament. And we know, okay, so this is a biblical reference point, that manna in the Old Testament is, we can learn about giving in the New Testament, because the New Testament teaches us that that, Pictures, that was a picture to teach us about New Testament giving. And that the, the life of God's covenant people was sustained through the collection of manna. Right? And in the same way, the church now is sustained through collections. Collections. Right? And that the needs of everyone is met when everybody gives their share. And he talks about, you know, uh, that particular verse is that people would go out and it didn't matter how much they gathered, when they got back in the camp, they poured out their basket, and it was all the same. Everybody had the same amount. And that, that miracle continued for 40 years while they, they, they wandered through the wilderness. Well, the same miracle is happening as the church is faithful in giving as each individual gives their share, the needs of the whole church is met. And that's that's the only way uh, a church's uh, financial needs are met is by, by your giving, <clears throat> whether it be special offerings, mm-hmm. gift offerings for uh, guest speakers, or just the offerings that uh, supply the needs of this congregation. Okay, we're almost done. I'm going to uh, jump ahead a few verses to the next chapter, 9-5. You still with me? Yeah. All right. Some, some, some people are yawning. <clears throat> I need to talk louder. Alright. Alright. 2 Corinthians 9.5 Therefore I thought necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as grudging obligation. Again, this is about a special offering, but the principles we can learn apply to all uh, giving and uh, the principle here is that it's a heart issue. Uh, uh, it needs to come out of uh, generosity and not grudging obligation. If you're giving out of grudging obligation, keep your money. It won't do you any good and it won't do us any good. All right, because it's not koinonia. It's it's obligation. It just doesn't work alright so there, uh, it's a heart issue it has to do with the heart it says, but I say this he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully and so God all through scripture isn't shy about telling us that uh, by giving financially we actually will get a, a benefit you know you say well that doesn't sound like the right motivation well it shouldn't be the motivation the motivation needs to be gratitude but there is just a truth that as you give generously you're going to reap generously all right <clears throat> giving is to be proportional uh we give a proportion of what we receive but the return is exponential and i did some research 6 pounds of wheat seed will can produce 50 pounds of grain you know or uh you know this there's i use this example in first for service What's the difference between these two snacks? This is from the farmhouse bakery, by the way. Does that look good? Handmade. Alright. Which one would you rather have? How many want the apple? How many want the donut? How many want both? (laughs) We'll have a fight over it. (laughs) One big difference about this. In this is the, prudent, is the uh, potential. Prudential. Is the potential to produce how many apples? Unlimited. 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 This is the difference between when man makes something and when God makes something. And you can still eat it. You eat it, and the part you don't eat can make more apples. Unlimited apples. And that's, that's a picture. Uh, and, and Paul and God in Scripture sa- says this about giving money at church. All right. Now, that applies also to giving money outside of church and doing charitable goods and, and meeting the needs of the poor. And That's another whole sermon. Uh, but this is the context of what he's talking about here. He says, So what each one gives as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheer- cheerful giver. And so what he purposes in... Your heart. What's the purpose in your heart? And so, in one sense, you can interpret this as uh, this giving, which was a collection for the poor in Jerusalem, you know, just give whatever God puts on your heart. And I think that's a legitimate way. But I think the bigger principle is, give according to the purpose that's in your heart. So how you would apply this to all giving in church is, what's your purpose? What's driving you? Is it to give the minimum? Are you a minimum wage Christian? Are you a minimum tithe Christian? You know? Are you giving to now go to hell? Or to avoid penalty? No, that shouldn't be the motivation. Uh, What return do you want to see? What do you want to see happen? What's your heart motivation? How big can you dream? Alright? Of what God can do by your simple act of faith. And see, you may have... you know, It's when we join together and we each give our part that... Uh, the church can do big things, alright? We each share. Um, and the motivation, uh, should never be grudgingly, it has to be gratitude. <clears throat> the purpose of to give is that God lives, uh, loves a cheerful giver. I want to put in this last verse. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound. Wow! He starts out with grace and he ties it up with grace that he's able to make all grace abound. Uh, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. So it's an expression of grace, and that expression of grace causes God to pour out even more grace. Amen. Thank you.